0: This is Troy Duvall, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast. Well, today we're entering the world of reality TV with reality TV writer, producer, and author of Reality TV, An Insider's Guide to Television's Hottest Market, Troy DeVold. I'm sure you're going to love the interview. We talk all about reality TV, the landscape, what it means to write, how to break in, why you would want to break in. All that type of stuff. A bit about Troy DeVold. Troy DeVold is a writer and producer in the reality television genre. He's the author of Reality TV, An Insider's Guide to TV's Hottest Market. Now, you may know that I actually do work in reality TV myself. After reading this book, I can say he is spot on on everything that you need to know about reality TV. So if you have a great idea for a show or if you're just interested in working in this massive part of the industry, I urge you to buy this book and read it and you're going to find out more about that in the interview. Currently, Troy DeVold is co-executive producer on VH1's Basketball Wives. He began his career with MTV's Fear and the Osbournes You may have heard of these shows and has gone on to write and or produce major reality hits, Dancing with the Stars, The Surreal Life, Flipping Out, Black Gold and more. In 2009, he was jointly nominated for a Daytime Emmy for his work on Style Network's Split Ends. He is a graduate of Full Sail University and a member of the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the Caucus for Producers, Writers, and Directors, and the WGA West's Nonfiction Writers Caucus. Troy is represented by Beth Bone of Bone Management, and you can find him at his website, realitytvbook.com. And also on Twitter, though he says he's uh, not on there very much, at RealityTVTroy, I'm sure if you follow him and start to ask questions, it's going to interest him in being on there more. But right now is my interview with Troy DeVold. Here we go. This is Gray, and I'm here with co-executive producer of VH1's Basketball Wives and author of Reality TV, An Insider's Guide to Television's Hottest Market, Troy DeVold. How are you doing, Troy? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. And I really, really appreciate you coming on And for a number of reasons. I mean, I, of course, work in reality TV, and so um, when I read your book, I just thought it it was spot on. (laughs) Everything that I I go through as an editor— yeah. um i I saw from your end and i I know because of all the story editors and and producers that i've worked with you covered all the bases in that book and and i'm really really happy because uh, there's not a lot of books for reality t v and in, in an yeah. introduction to for a really really monstrous part of the industry um so i i can't wait to pick your brain and also uh because I work in the industry, I might know some of these things, but i'm sure our viewers don't so um Really, really cool. And and what we typically do in our interviews is we'll start with um, your path into the industry and then move on to later stuff. But I think with this one, just because we haven't covered reality TV a lot, I think we need to take a little section at the beginning and talk about what you talk about in the beginning of your book, which is the landscape, um, first of all, and um, and why somebody would want to work in reality TV. Um, and particularly the audience to this podcast is probably people who are primarily either want to enter the industry or are in the beginnings of entering the industry. So keeping okay. that in mind.
0: Sure. Well, I'll tell you that before I got into reality television, uh, I wanted to be a, a screenwriter. Uh, specifically, I had my eye set on television. And when I went to move to Los Angeles uh, in the year 2000, I had already done a lot of local uh, television production in Florida mm-hmm. and thought, well, you know, I'll just get out there and stump it as hard as I can and somebody will hire me to write sitcoms, you know. <laughs> right. Nice, the dream. Because, you know, they're just waiting for you to show up. It's just, yeah. They're just with bated breath. Thank, thank heaven there's finally a writer that came to California. <laughs> um, but what ended up happening was I was halfway across the country. I pulled into a motel. In Texas, that was the scariest place you've ever seen in your life. It was one of those places where they hand you the key to the room through a mail slot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching a show uh, that night called Fear on MTV. It was a paranormal reality show. that was a special. And the only person mm-hmm. whose name I knew in Los Angeles crawled by in the credits. And I wow. said, well, there's there's a phone call I got to make in the morning. So I gave this gentleman a call. Uh, and he was nice enough to say that, well, you know, the show is actually kind of coming together. It's going to go, it's in the process of going to series. I thought it was just apparently a special, the first episode. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, there might be something we can do. So I came out and I started as a logger transcriber, which I'd never heard of before, which was mm-hmm. just transcribing, state, trans, bleh, transcribing tape for the benefit of the story department so mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have to watch all the source material. And from there, I just sort of fell into reality television. I really enjoyed the process um, and it was something different. Mm-hmm. it was much easier to find work there because people weren't interested in it yet. It mm-hmm. it, it's, it didn't seem as sexy as writing movies or, or sitcoms. So there were fewer people trying to kick the door in. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it's much the same today. There's not a lot of people that get up in the morning and say, you know, like as soon as I get out of film school, I'm going straight to, you know, <laughs> straight, to, <laughs> straight to bad girls five, you know, I
1: like, can't, yeah. can't wait to jump in there. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, sure. I mean, first of all, it, um, it, it, we we have to dispel the myth. We we have to we have to correct the the, the myth that sure. reality TV isn't written, despite what unions may say. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, well, t- tell me a little bit about what is written. Right? What what could sure. somebody expect to to write, and and what would their role be in relation to the stories?
0: Sure. Well, I'll tell you that there is a lot of writing that's done in reality television. It's not always as direct as putting words in someone's mouth, but I will tell you that there are several shows that are very heavily driven uh, by narration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have home improvement shows. You have a lot of things that fall into that genre where there's it, there's nothing but. Um, I think Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations is a great example of how narration drives the show, and the work that, that Anthony does in writing his own material is, is outstanding. It's, mm-hmm. it's beautifully done. Um In addition to that, you have many of the same processes that you do in any other form of writing is, you know, shows are outlined sometimes before shooting where you have a series of events that you are, you know, stringing together like, well, you know, we'll go from showing the house to showing them consult about what needs to be done. You know, there's a whole in the book, there's a whole thing I call the home improvement exercise, because Mm. if you look at a home improvement show you can see how they're set up and they're formatted and you follow very specific things. Scenes are set up. Like we have to do this before we can do this, before we can do this. So there's a lot of outlining. You can either do it before, or if you're doing a documentary series or docu soap so um, those shows, you have to take your source material and then create outlines based on what you've already got in the can. Mm. Um, there's a lot of writing also. I call it, I call it spackling. It's my own term uh, where you are trying to connect scenes where, scene A and scene B don't make any sense joined together. But if you put a bite over it that says, you know, after we rode horses, I thought it was, might be a nice idea for us to have dinner and do something a little more quiet. Well then all of a sudden riding horses and going to dinner kind of seems like they're supposed to be together. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of the little, the little patchy work. Um, it's, it's different from screenwriting in a lot of respects, but, uh, as far as having to be able to tell a, a story that has an arc both by episode and by season, You know, those are writing skills. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and also um, something I guess would be important is uh, in some ways and on some shows, the process is actually quite similar to a documentary. Uh, You mentioned being a a logger transcriber. And so what what a logger will do is uh, you'll have pages and pages and pages of transcripts of interviews. And what happens often with the documentaries, you just go over the transcripts with a highlighter, pick the best stuff, and then you do a paper edit. Combine those bits together and whoop, almost there you have a story. Um, sure. That's part of it, but then what else can a story editor or producer in in reality do that shapes the story?
0: Well, I find that uh, more now than ever before, um, you can they use editing software. I mean my teams on shows that I work on recently will actually go into the source material and as story producers and writers, not as editors, um, we'll create, we're, we're in the old days. We used to just take a paper cut and we'd pass it along to an assistant editor to string out for the editors. Hmm. We'll cut those things ourselves um, and be able to pass those along. So it's getting to the point now where you've got to have, you know, you've got to be able to cut on final cut pro or avid in order to be, a writer. It's kind of an unusual skill set to be required for something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make the job a lot easier. Uh, I think that you're able to pass something along. that's a lot closer to what your vision is mm-hmm. because with paper edits, it's one of those things where you're, you're guessing that because you've seen these 10 things that they'll work together. Sometimes they don't, and you know, that as an editor, when you get something that's that worked in here, but once it gets out, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot more interesting now that story producers are able to cut their own, Mm -hmm. stuff their own string outs before they go over
1: and and uh, and you mentioned that there's a number of different times that you might enter the 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 process Um, Mm -hmm. you might start in pre-production you might start in production or you might start in post Uh, right so what we've been talking about a little bit right now is basically what might happen if you started in post right when you start in pre-production tell me about about uh, a bit about what the role of a writer might be at that point and also about production
0: Well, in the occasions when I've been able to start in pre-production, it's nice because you can say, here's an idea for, if you're going to do an episode about this, this, or this, you can beat out an outline and suggest things uh, to your team in the field. If the the field is working on their own, and sometimes you're that guy who's working in the field alone, there are story people who work both in post and in the field, Mm -hmm. Um, then you're really kind of shaping story on the front, and that's... That's it's great when that happens, but I think what ends up going on is a lot of the time when production companies don't have a ton of money, they'll hire a crew uh, and have a field story producer who may, you know, who may or may not be super experienced, who's gathering things off of a checklist, um, and hoping that it's just that sort of shoot it all and we'll sort it out when it gets back. Mm-hmm. In which case, you, you're you're usually overshooting your material by a long shot and just sort of hoping that everything will come together in post. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when, uh, a story producer will, uh, come on in the, in the, just in the, uh, post process. Uh, and all we do is sort out what's come back from. I realize that's a bit of a redundant statement, but it's just, you know, th- there is no set way that any reality show is done. Mm-hmm. Many of them are put together differently. It's one of the things that was hard with the book is when someone says, you know, yeah, we'd love to publish your book on reality television. And you start to explain the process and you realize, well, wait a minute.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just realized that the process is there's 38, 40, 50, 60, a thousand times. That, you know, there's that many ways that you could put a show together. Mm-hmm. Um, But you can really come along at any point in the process. And I think that that's kind of an alien concept to a lot of writers who are interested in reality television.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and actually, I I think – uh, from the perspective of, of a writer who might be still on the fence of, of which one to work on, um, there are a lot of opportunities in reality TV that are just – you'd never do in, in scripted stuff. I mean, for one thing, um, the the very fact that you could actually be in the field shaping the story as it goes – like, yes it's it's practically being a director in some ways in in the way people might understand a narrative director in the sense that you know the story's not going as you would like and Correct. to say, "Why don't we do this now and right to to a writer who's always been cooped up in a in a in a writer's room I mean, that's right. some pretty exciting stuff
0: right and in the writer's room, you're less likely to have drinks thrown at you, which is <laughs> another you're missing everything,
1: yes. Yeah um but so so tell me a bit about maybe those more active ways of shaping the story um well in and, and also sure. actually it, in some ways with the pre-production that might be completely foreign to somebody who's who doesn't know about the the process to right. think well how can you plan out what's going to happen if it's reality right
0: well there are certain types of things that happen in the field that you again it's a, it's a, it's like being on another planet if you're a writer who's just getting started in reality television uh, if something were to happen, if there's an enormous argument that comes out of nowhere that has nothing to do with your scene, and you had no idea that these things were bubbling up within your participants, you've got to think pretty quickly, well, do I have enough that the scene can be, can accomplish what it needs to when we set out? If we're going to introduce a new topic, which is always good, you know, scenes always have to introduce new information. Mm -hmm. Um, Every fight starts somewhere. And if something comes out of nowhere, you've got to figure out a way to explain that thing that came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So immediately your mind is reeling and you're thinking, well, you know, tomorrow I'm going to sit these two women down and have them talk about what it was that happened at dinner. And then in the moment as the dinner's happening where they just argued, I should pull them off to the side and have them kind of explain or something or cool down or make sure that I get that person storming out. And there's the, the brain just starts going about all this source material that you really think you should have. And you have to really think cinematically because you can't just, you can't just end a scene anywhere. Mm. You know, you've got to have, I, I, I laugh all the time that, you know, on, on reality shows where I have a, a newer or less experienced staff, There are things that people don't think about that you absolutely have to have. Mm. You have to have walk-ups. You have to have exits. You have to have all of these things happen. Otherwise, you you go to a scene and you've got the outside of a restaurant and then people are already seated inside talking. You don't have any intro to the scene. Nothing is getting set up. Um, You really have to be able to spitball and figure out ways to to make those things that are actually happening in real life, make sense, which sounds ridiculous, but you have to make real life make sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and actually that again is another, another thing that, uh, that would be, um, really exciting for somebody in scripted television In scripted mm-hmm. television. You, you might work for years in it before you ever are able to sit in an edit bay and, right. and be involved in that part of shaping the process. But for a reality TV story producer, you're there working with the editor as part of your your process tell me about that
0: right well in working with the editors uh there are certain ways to do that uh i i'm a little less hands-on than a lot Mm -hmm. of producers are because my editing team a lot of the people that i work with come from film and other other things where they've done traditional scripted material Mm -hmm. and they're familiar with the needs of story Mm -hmm. um i have you know i've Right now, one of my favorite editors on my, on my staff cut, cut, break into electric boogaloo. I was beside myself. It was a childhood, uh-huh. you know, it's like, I remember that. Um, but at any rate, you hire people who have that kind of knowledge that you can turn them loose. Um, some story producers, I think they hold the reins too tight. And a good editor will let you know where you've gone wrong or the pieces that you've missed. And a lot of it is about, you know, when you get things together and you have conversations with an editor in an edit bay, you realize what you've missed. You're able to go to the field and say, you know, I really could use a scene where these three go into a restaurant and talk about this particular thing so that it doesn't come out of the clear blue sky. Um, you know what's missing. And working with editors, a lot of people that work on my shows say, we don't understand who's in charge. Is it the story producer? Is it the editor? What's the flowchart like? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's up to me, everybody's on an, a, a level playing field. I mm. think anybody at any point in the process can make a suggestion that's going to turn the whole thing around. Mm. So if you're in there, if you're one of those people, editors don't want you behind them all day eating your lunch and texting while they're trying to work. I mean, it's a it's a solitary pursuit. It's it's best done with the door closed and no one else around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes time for those conversations, you know, you, you both of you have to be receptive.
1: Yeah, and uh, and there's a lot you can do in in editing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in some shows, actually, you can go out and and actually reshoot stuff. And depending on where the production's at, uh, you right. might have that flexibility. Um, but let's, let's move on perhaps a little bit more to what kind of, how, how might the lifestyle slash, um, and we've got to get a little bit into uh, sure. how much you can make in this. Sure. Um, it, we, we hear about people in scripted television, you know, after three, four, five years making 250,000, 500,000 a year, So what kind of um, lifestyle-slash-pay might they expect to get in reality?
0: Well, I'll tell you, reality television, if you were going to come in uh, as a... a, Most people make their way in either as a story PA or a story assistant. um, Once you get that break, I would say that that probably pays anywhere from $650 to $800 a week U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, From there, you'll move into... uh, a full story producer position. The lowest paying story producer position that I've been aware of, of late is 1200 a week. It's mm-hmm. so the lowest amount of money I've heard anybody offered. Um, and you can make anywhere from 1200 a week up to twenty three twenty four hundred $2,400 a week. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you can move into a supervising story position. Those will pay anywhere from 2000 to maybe at the outside 3000, 3500. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone up the ladder from there and I'm basically, you know, I have a lot of producer duties now in addition to what I'm doing. So you can make more than that, uh, later on. The thing too, to remember is you hear about those numbers and you think, well, you know, that doesn't really compare to television. Well, television is largely seasonal scripted television is Mm -hmm. with reality television. You have the ability to work 52 weeks a year if you want to. Mm. most of the work that I've done in the last three or four years, I haven't really been off work since January of 2010
2: Mm.
0: that it's like a regular job. I get up, I put on my pants, I go to work, I come home, I go to bed. That's it. Five days a week. I very seldom work a Saturday or a Sunday unless it absolutely has to happen. And I think if you work efficiently, it doesn't necessarily have to. Mm. Um, And you can work, you know, you take the, you take those numbers and suddenly you know, reality TV. Yeah, you're working year round to get that money, but you are making. You know, it's not un- inconceivable to make a hundred thousand dollars a year within the first three or four years of of doing what it is you're doing.
1: Yeah, if you which, can move up the ladder
0: to a full story position.
1: Yeah, which in in a lot of industries, I mean, that would just be impossible. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, so we've established that it's it's there are a lot of attractive. Um, parts of it for a, a writer and why you might want to to break in. Sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about how easy it is to to break in. You mentioned uh, okay. entering in at the logger transcriber um, level. Yes. Um, so is that a tough job to get?
0: Uh, logger transcriber positions are not necessarily difficult to get. Obviously, you have to have fantastic typing skills and, you know, the ability to focus for long periods of time on stuff that you it, source material will bore you to tears. Uh-huh. If you're willing to, if you're willing to jump in there and do that, those jobs aren't necessarily that hard to get, but I will tell you that over the years production companies, I think are farming out a lot of their logging and transcription. So you aren't seeing loggers and transcribers inside the company as often. Mm. Um, in which case I would tell you that it might not be a bad idea to look into a PA position or story PA position so that at least you're there with the people who are putting the shows together. Right. That's what helped me is I started out as a logger transcriber, but it worked for me because I was physically in the room with the story people. So mm. that when they came in, I could make a suggestion and say, hey, I'm noticing this is this happening across a lot of the tapes. You know, you guys might want to look into this or I'm seeing a through line here and talk to the story department. Mm. Get involved with them. Don't just do your job and go home. They used to laugh at me because I would come in at four o'clock in the afternoon for a seven p.m. shift, and they said, "Why do you do that?" I said, "If I don't, I have no face time with you and the EPs. Yeah, you know, you've got to make your you, you've got to make yourself known. It's 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 different. It's different than writing. It's not that you're just on on staff. You're having to make the most of the time that you're there. You know, by networking with the people and demonstrating that you do have a knowledge of story and that you can move forward.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, I know from from my end, uh, it doesn't matter. Who it is when we're looking for that pineapple. Um mm-hmm. if somebody knows where that is, they're a variable, very valuable person. Yes. And so I, I can imagine as um, as a, well, a logger transcriber, if if you actually pay attention yeah. and can and can be that guy who knows, Oh, I know where that is, I know where that is, yeah. I'm sure it would help a lot.
0: Exactly, or the guy who's willing to stay in the office for thirty-six hours to figure out where the one shot of the guy feeding his fish is. <laughs> that was my claim to fame early in my career. It was like they couldn't believe I stayed for a day and a half to find this material that they just knew was there, but they didn't have in the logs.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, oh, I know. I, I worked in a show that um, one one particular episode had eighty-seven hours of footage, mm-hmm. and all of the tape logs. This they were shooting in a swamp. Um, right. All of the tape logs were lost oh so I literally had to go through all of this 87 hours of of footage oh man myself to find everything and it wasn't the kind of stuff you could transcribe because it was all like just people going through the swamp and stuff like that oh geez Uh, that
0: that probably took a little while
1: yeah (laughs) yeah I empathize In, in that part of the industry we can say that it is reality TV stuff happens yep Yes. yes. Yeah. Like, Substitute luckily, your own
0: S word there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so uh, and, and luckily uh, that's an extreme example and sure. most shows are run a lot uh, better than that. Oh, this it was yes. a great show to work on, but that was just an accident that happened. Sure. Just like I know in features I there there's the there's the time that the reel is lost. Um uh, right. and everybody in the whole city knows it. <laughs> Within right. hours.
0: Well, you know, I think it—it's it, one of those things too that when you're working in reality television, you have to realize that hindsight is twenty-twenty. Mm-hmm. That there are things that happen in the field, but when you're pursuing action, and you're doing your best to keep up, and you suddenly you don't have a shot of someone saying a key thing for the scene because you just happen to be on other reaction shots in the scene or maybe one of your camera guys is in the process of repositioning and you just want to yell and you're like, I can't believe no one was covering that. Well, they didn't know it was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's not always like you can stop down and say, could you please say this thing again? In the heat of the moment, people say, you know, amazing things that just cannot be repeated or duplicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they're not actors as much as there's actually some people you think, wow, they, they sure could be um they're great on camera and they speak well um and then there's others not so much but um and that part of it again that is reality too i mean as much as we're we're shaping we're putting them into situations at times where we're prodding to say could you could you bring this up or, or whatever but it's their words that are coming out which is you know that's pretty exciting i agree yeah so so why don't we now that we've sort of Talked about the lay of the land and all that. Now let's go back and talk a bit about your your path through. Um, okay. So you mentioned that you you were on your way. You you um, saw this show uh, as you were on your way to Los Angeles, and right. uh, you looked this guy up and you you got on as a logger transcriber. So from that point, um, what was your your path in?
0: From there, on the same show, uh, actually, I made all, all the way to story producer um, over the course of about six months. Uh, it was an interesting pursuit because it's just I proved myself valuable as a logger transcriber. And the people that ran that company, I was lucky enough to get in on the ground floor. And I'll tell you, it was Chris Abrego and Rick Teas. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris Abrego, you may know, is the guy who created all those VH1 shows and, and owns half of a company called 51 Minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they went on to be hugely successful with all their, their spinoff stuff. But this was their for his first show solo. Wow. Uh, as a producer. Um, they kept me around. And so, you know, I I didn't have a ton of money when I moved to Los Angeles, but, you know, and they knew that. So I would be a PA one week. I'd be assisting location Uh people the next week. And I just really got sort of that immersive experience where I really understood the process. It was like going to school, Mm. you know, on their dime because it was just that they didn't want to let me go until they, you know, had more story for me to do. So, if you look at the credits for Beyond Fear, I started as a logger transcriber on that show, and then all of a sudden, I'm an assistant story editor, and then I'm the story editor and then you know that that just worked out from there. it stuck you know Very from cool. there i went I went over to the Osbournes, was the second show I worked on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: you talk about being lucky as you have a show that you know and it, it, I think the Osborne's actually just to get a little off track for a second, the Osbornes was an interesting scenario because if you look at the people who were the story producers on that show. Most of them come from very heavy scripted backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You had writers for SNL and sex in the city and Carolyn in the city. And these are the people who were just, you, you know, putting this, this show together. And that yeah. was when it first occurred to me that it's just like, yeah, well, you know what, this is a two way thing. Writers can come across to reality television and use the skills that they've got. I mean, these people like Henry Mantel and Sue Kolinsky, and, you know, it, it, it's just an absolutely amazing group of people with credits, you know, as long as your arm, yeah. electing to work in reality television.
1: Well, and, that, and that's an interesting thing, and I've 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 seen a lot of people like that, um, who who have written in the scripted world and made a decision to come over to reality, both in in writing and actually in editing. I've seen it too, and I know in your sure. book you mentioned somebody who had uh, had worked on Star Wars, I think you said, and yeah. and and came over to reality. Exactly. So, so obviously there's, there's a lot of attractive stuff here. I, and, and actually, one thing that you touched on a little bit, which I think is interesting is that, um, in it, it does happen in scripted television, but not as much that you, you develop relationships within a certain company that produces a lot of shows and they'll just keep you around and, and it becomes a, a family of people working on a whole bunch of different projects. Um, maybe right. talk a, a bit about that, that difference there.
0: It really really is interesting. Well, you know, writers will often, you know, if if I was on a writing staff of a sitcom and I moved to another sitcom, of course I'm going to try and bring people with me who did a great job before. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, But in reality television, the way that these companies are set up is if you develop a good relationship with a company, um, you can stay there for years. The company that I work for right now is is called Shed Media. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, The folks at Shed, there are people there that I know have been there five and six years, there are editors who work so consistently that, you know, they, they've decorated their bays. <laughs> they,
2: if
0: if a guy if a guy gets to pick out his own paint color and couches and lamps and everything else, you know he's going to be around for a while.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but it's one of those things where you know you find a home and the execs like you and they understand what that you can execute, you can work pretty consistently at a company that has a lot of product going. If you mm-hmm. work someplace that has five or ten shows on the air at a time. Uh, you can shuttle back and forth. You know, there are a lot of times where you'll get a phone call that says, hey, so-and-so is between shows for about six weeks. How would you like to have a third person just for a few weeks because we don't want to let them, you know, mm-hmm. sit at home and not get paid? Uh, there's a lot, a lot of companies that give you the opportunity to really become sort of family. And the pressure comes off because in reality television, you know, I talk about how you can work year-round, but that's 13 to 20 weeks at a time. And in the early days you were always scrambling to find a job the last two weeks you were somewhere because mm-hmm. there's never any real notice. Yeah. Everything in reality is, hey, we you know can you come in on Friday and talk with us a little bit about something? You show up on Friday and like, we're doing a new show that starts Monday. <laughs> it's never it starts a week from now or two weeks from now. It's always it starts Monday. So yeah. we're gonna hire the hire you the Friday before. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Well and and you know that is an incredibly, incredibly exciting because it because I know one of the most terrifying things for people who want to break in and you know you're in in topeka la might as well be china like right. it's it's scary and and it's scary to think that it's not just china but it's china where there's a bazillion people all fighting for the same jobs right and that's scary too but to to, to think that there's there's this environment where um when you break in and and there's there's a lot going on a lot of work uh and when you break in, you might actually have a steady paycheck for a long time.
0: Right. Well, also, with, you know, certain production companies are the only game in town, but if you're in Denver, there's always high noon. Mm-hmm. If you're in Orlando, there's a company called Pink Sneakers. Uh, there are reality, smaller reality production houses all over the place. There's an amazing amount of stuff that's going on in oddball spots like you know, Maryland. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like um, it's easier to find those first positions in recognizable shows. Uh, I have a friend of mine that, that came out here looking for work that had a credit on a show in Orlando, Mm uh, or that had shot in Florida for a company called pink sneakers. But because it was a show that had run on a national network, uh, it's a useful resume entry. Mm -hmm. Usually I tell people, if you've done a lot of regional television and you come to Los Angeles, you might as well erase your resume and start over because if it's not if you're not, if it's not relevant to that city or been carried on a network where it's been viewed by people in that city, it's almost like it didn't happen. Mm. You know, if you've done work for your local television affiliate station for years and years and years on local programming, it's sort of like to look at that and say, all right, and what have you done that that any of us have seen? mm um, But again, if you can find those smaller companies that have a national reputation, you may not even necessarily have to take the plunge and move to Los Angeles or New York. Mm-hmm. If you could figure out a way in the door and a way to stay there.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's that's very very valuable stuff. Um. So uh, so you were moving up the ranks. You you worked at a, a couple of great companies. What are some lessons that you've learned along the way? Um. That might be helpful to the to the viewers.
0: Well, there's a lot of things. I think that uh, one of the things that I'm kind of known for among people that I work with, um. I have a I call it a celebrity allergy. Mm-hmm. Is I love the people who are on my shows, but I don't like to hang out with them. I don't Mm -hmm. like to get super familiar because what ends up happening is my career has shifted. I did a lot of work in the field early in my career, uh, in the first several years. And it was one of those things where I just felt more comfortable in post because Mm -hmm. I felt like when you see a person off camera, you develop an impression of them and you say, well, this person is really great, or this person is a real jerk or whatever your image is. Mm. And suddenly you're seeing all of the source material through that filter. Mm. And you're trying to make the person on camera, the person that they are off camera. And what happens is there are a lot of people and it's, it happens to many people where they start self-producing because they're really worried about how they're going to look on camera. So suddenly their speech patterns change. Or suddenly they're more concerned about something than they would be normally, and they just their smaller internal ticks. And if you have an existing impression of that person, and the and the footage is living up to it, you start to feel like you're never really getting to that who that person mm. is. In post, all I have to do is make sure that that person is the person that they seem to be in the material that's coming back. Mm. And I think that just, especially a docu series, docu soap, it's much. I, I feel like I'm doing a much better job by not. Getting familiar with them, mm-hmm. you don't see pictures of me with cast members. Um, it's one of those things. It's not that I don't like them or enjoy them. I just find that in order to do the shows, you kind of have to maintain that little bit of distance, so that you can really count on the footage to tell you the story, as opposed to you know your own preconceived ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's now take a, a a new shift in direction and talk about pitching shows. Mm-hmm. Now first, first of all I I have to establish and especially working in the industry that mm-hmm. um the very first thing is people would have to buy this book, read it cover to cover and do all the exercises. Yes. And, <laughs> and then and work for 5 time. years. And then work for 5 years, exactly. Like like there's a lot to the process that just has yes. to be learned in the trenches. Yes. Um but and and I know and and I'm sure you know um there's so many people who say I just saw this reality TV show and I have a great idea for a reality TV show. Right. Um so let's talk about if if somebody just does have this amazing idea um and and they buy the book and they read the book um what what should they do? Um or if or maybe not just one great idea but they really think that that's their their forte great sure. ideas for shows.
0: Well I'll I'll respond to that here, but I'll also tell you just as a resource, uh on my website, realitytvbook.com, mm-hmm. uh I talk about that a lot. I call it the million dollar napkin <laughs> that everybody thinks, I just got this great idea for a reality show, and you're just gonna go in and just like it's about four guys that live in a junkyard, but they actually, you know, they they have a they do a tea service at four o'clock every afternoon for people. <laughs> you know, anything that ends with like bam, like the old Hollywood like, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, that's not a show because it's a, it's a concept, but you don't have a cast. You don't have anything else. You're not bringing anything to the table. Nobody wants to hear that. You'll never get in to pitch it at the network level, uh, unless you have huge celebrities attached. If you're lucky enough that, you know, Beyonce is your cousin and has enough free time that she wants to do a reality show for you, a little easier to get a meeting there. But for most people, it's very, very difficult. I will never say that anything is impossible. Um, I encourage people who are interested in creating reality shows to get into the industry and to work there for a little while to understand the workings because there are a lot of traps that you could fall into in trying to create a reality show. Mm. You create a reality competition show, you've really got to think about what your elimination metrics are, the whole mechanics of gameplay, all this other stuff. You have to write a very detailed treatment Mm. um, in order for people to be interested in talking to you about it. Uh, There's less and less development money to go around. And you've got to have your idea really, you know, fleshed out, and it's got to make sense. Hmm. Um, anytime, again, I come back to the celebrity attachment thing. Usually, it's a great thing. Um, it's a little easier now in certain things because we have a lot of these shows that are about occupations. Um, that that's kind of the new wave right now. Is you know people who have unusual businesses. You know, if a, a guy that just does nothing but like you have shows about exterminators you have shows about you know we have always had shows about ghost hunters i keep thinking of terrible jobs uh you know anything where you have a group of people in a workplace environment that are kind of funny and screwy like cake boss or any of those shows Mm -hmm. uh those are adventurous but you really have to know who those people are and that's where you have to think about the sizzle reels, which mm. we'll get into, I'm sure, later in the conversation. But, you know, producing just something that's, you know, three to five minutes uh, that gives you an idea of who those people are, what you can expect from the show, the types of situations where people run up against conflict. Um, that's also a common mistake when people create a reality show is they'll say, well, I know this person who's very interesting. And you say, well, what are they really up against? Well, nothing. They're just interesting people. Mm. Well, if there's no conflict, there's no show. Yeah. Um, it's not about people punching each other in the face on the boardwalk. I always say it's, it's about, you know, it's about me worrying if I'm going to lose my house or worried if I'm going to, you know, this is going to be the one dangerous job that I don't come back from, you know, Mm. the whole premise of deadliest catch. Uh, there's gotta be conflict built in. Um, and people again, who are new to creating reality shows, they get that one sentence idea and forget that there's an awful lot that you've got to chase it with to make it a viable show.
1: Mm. Well, and and uh, and so we will get to the sizzle reels. Um, but uh, well, actually, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about that right now. Um, okay. So, so a sizzle reel is as you've got this great idea, and say you've you've read your book and and know a lot about the the processes, and and you think you've figured out how to structure the show and what the the the, the gameplay is going to be like, right. etc. So, what is your goal from a sizzle reel?
0: The goal from a a real is you want to establish your talent. You want to establish the conflict. You want to be able to illustrate that the show is dynamic and engaging. You want people to believe that it's an idea that will carry for an extended period of time, as opposed to just being an hour long documentary about somebody. Mm-hmm. And those are really the th- things that you mostly need to hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you have to spend a fortune putting these together. I was up until two o'clock last night editing a sizzle reel for something that I shot as a one-man band with a camera and a mic, you know, and my talent over the course of two weekends. Uh, total expenditure, whatever my gas was to get to where she was, and the camera kit that I've owned for four years. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to spend a ton of money on it, but it's got to look decent and, and and just really identify who th- who people are, what their conflicts are. Um, and what, and just that the show is worth watching. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. It's got to look like a viable show.
1: Yeah. Well, and and let's take that a little bit further then. And um, I know that there's been a lot of dabbling in this. Um, there's there's a number of people who have said. Actually, I just interviewed uh, Bill Rabkin, um, mm-hmm. who wrote writing the pilot, and mm-hmm. uh, and also I know I talked to Rob Thomas, who uh, did Party Down and um, Veronica Mars, and sure. they're both advocates of. Shooting your own pilot, yes, um, and and by extension, things like because it's so easy to shoot something up and, and get it up on YouTube and and put up your own site. Right. What what avenues are there for people who want to take this route and actually start to produce something themselves and either use that to say, look at the potential of this, like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, right, or or, or that kind of thing.
0: Well I hear a lot, um as far as web as far as web content, there are a lot of people that are producing webisodes. Um obviously I wouldn't produce a thirty minute pilot and then throw it up on YouTube hoping that somebody would see it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a tremendous amount of effort, and I'm not really sure that anybody is really trolling YouTube looking for the next big thing. Mm-hmm. I say that and then of course tomorrow someone's going to sell another you know stuff my dad says you know yeah. solo show based on a twitter feed where i've been knocking my brains out doing these elaborate things to try to sell yeah um I, I don't really i don't really know what's next because there is no there are avenues that i will tell you have worked there are things that i tell you you know are standard where people do things as far as producing your own pilot it's pretty brassy and i think that the reason that you hear about people who have produced their own pilots is because it's such an uncommon thing that that when they when it does pull off it sounds like these are geniuses who believe in their own idea enough to sink that kind of money into it mm-hmm. but for every success story you probably have hundreds of people who you know went to all of this effort and just didn't pull it off um often because in reality television i think that the game plan in order to try to make something interesting a lot of people will force conflict or there will be imaginary conflict mm-hmm. there was a, a a summit recently they call it the, they call it real screen it just ended in dc
2: mm-hmm.
0: and there are a couple of things that they said on the panel that they were talking about people who pitch shows that the one thing that executives hate to see is fake or forced conflict for the sake of the reality for the sake of the sizzle reel mm-hmm. prolong that into um, trying to keep something on rails in a reality pitch. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the other thing that I think the only other thing that came out of it was that they were all sick of hearing cold play in people's sizzle reels. <laughs> They're like, if you're going to use music, don't use cold play because uh-huh. you know, for some strange reason, everybody's play, everybody's using their music. Yeah. Um I, I think there's a huge, there's a lot of room for error scripted. You can be really clever. You can really keep things going. Uh Reality TV, try to produce your own pilot by yourself. Uh, to rein in your cast, to try to get things to look convincing, it's really difficult. Hmm. So I wouldn't suggest it. I would say stick with a sizzle reel. If yeah. just just my two cents. Yeah. And then if you do it differently and sell a show, please write me a taunting <laughs> email,
1: and I will be happy to
0: uh, send you back the the frowning emoticon of sadness yeah. when I realize that I've been wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and and I guess that that is where um. I can't think of any precedents, unlike this stuff my dad says for Twitter and and that kind of thing. And I know there's a lot of people who have reality based web series. I, I think of one sure. one pod, podcast viewer has one called The Chocolate Tourist, where mm-hmm. there's a there's a host that goes to um, all sorts of different places places to find out different ways that they make and produce chocolate and and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows? Maybe one time there might be. Um, A show like that that all of a sudden hits and gets so successful that somebody says, I want to put that on on TV. We haven't seen that yet, but that's not to say that it couldn't happen.
0: Exactly. And I'll never tell you that something can't happen. Hmm. Um, I can only tell you the ways that it has worked for hundreds of people before us. Yeah. Um, A lot of people get discouraged if I say, well, you know, you're probably not going to meet with an average executive. It's probably not going to be. I tell people when you pitch a reality show, you're going to have to talk to a production company and partner with somebody who's got more muscle than you to go out. Well, what if I want to do it my way and it's this way? Um, I think that you know television is the wrong place for most auteurs. I really think that they should stick to film. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a way where I'm putting people down. I'm just saying that it's just one of those things where television, the sooner you realize that it's a collaborative medium, the better off you are. Yeah. And by collaborative, I mean there are people in suits that you never see their faces who have a lot to say about what you're doing. So it's very, you know, there's you can change the world, but it's it's easier to do it the way that evolution might have theoretically, hmm. and just you yeah. know, be, go from a lungfish to just that thing that crawls, as opposed to being a lungfish that goes. I can't wait to you know be able to run in the Olympics.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. There's there's
0: steps in the middle.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, and I know we've been talking about your book, and we've we've talked a lot about reality a lot but also you have speaking engagements like yes. what's come uh well from when we're taping it when, what's coming up we're going to release this podcast after it but uh tell me okay. about some of the some of the um stuff you do with with teaching and and uh, public things that people can register for
0: sure well i'll tell you there's a couple of things uh you just missed it in f- February, I'm t- speaking from the past into the future. Mm-hmm. You've just missed the TV writers summit, uh, February 12th, 2012, uh, where Jen Grisanti and Chad Gervich and Nancy Sadler and I are all doing two days of, uh, of instruction for people who were interested in getting into television writing. Uh, I also, you know, I do there, I do other appearances as they come up. Uh, I've done some stuff at the writer's store in the past. I may go back and do more. um, there is there are certain things if you're an educator a lot of people don't know that the book actually has a course syllabus so that if you wanted to teach it as a semester long thing uh you could do that but i will be speaking uh on a panel this this coming august i think it is uh at the university film and video association uh annual convention in august which will be in chicago mm-hmm. so if you're an educator i'll be up there uh if you wanted Basically, if you want me to come anywhere, come to a bookstore, do whatever, whatever, you know, drop me an email, and if it's something that's feasible, I might be able to do that. So there's stuff coming up, but I don't have a lot on the book yeah. on the books right now. Well, and, I'm kind uh, of making a TV show right now, so it's a little <laughs> tough to get away.
1: Yeah, well, and so. and you do blog at your website realitytvbook.com. correct? And correct. There's, a, there's a number of helpful articles there as well that that uh, expand upon the things that you touch in in the book and and go further to your own experiences um, you' you have a Twitter address reality TV Troy
0: reality TV Troy and I'm I'm almost never on Twitter I've really <laughs> got to get better about that yeah so yeah. Uh, I'll get out there yeah. I'll say it right here on your on the podcast I'll get back out there
1: cool well I'm sure if lots of people follow you and start asking you questions I'm, I'm sure that'll give you an incentive so, sure uh, and the book has, the book has a Facebook
0: page as well so it's yeah. a, you could you could find it there cool a little well, more active right. on Facebook
1: yeah so uh so I think we're gonna start to wrap things up here. uh Is okay. there anything else that you you think we missed or that you'd like to mention?
0: Well, I think that one of the just in mentioning it as a writer coming into it, I don't think that I would have ever looked at reality television as a viable alternative to writing for sitcoms or dramas. uh I think that if you don't, you're cutting out a tremendous amount of opportunity for yourself. There's a chance to do good work. I think that reality television is often discounted. As a less than or that they're, ju- it's just a, a swimming in bad ideas. <laughs> uh, there's poorly executed stuff on both sides of the fence and, and absolutely beautiful shows as well. You know, you've got shows running right now, like an, an idiot abroad, I think is one of the, the greatest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such an amazing show. Um, you know, the Anthony Bourdain shows, there's a lot of good stuff out there and, and it's reality television it's reality television. You know, you, you, the label, you want to slap the nonfiction label on it. So it sounds fancier. That's fine. But, uh, there's a lot of good work to be done out there. I think it's still finding itself. And I think that would be a great place to be as a writer in, in a genre that even though it's been around since 1948 is still, you know, trying to figure out what it wants to be Yeah. when it grows up.
1: So (laughs) Yeah.
0: check it out, get in there. There's money to be made. It's, it's consistent work. You know, there's good people, and you get to learn a lot more. Your skill set is very broad compared to what I think a lot of writers who ju- who are confined to scripted have done.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: great people jump the fence all the time. Yeah. I've worked people on reality shows now that are working on 30 Rock and working on Saturday Night Live and all these other things. You know, story is story, and story is written, and just it, it's worth looking into. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. Well, that is a great place to end up. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I know you are a very busy man in this industry. And, uh, and so best of luck to you. And, um, hopefully I'll be able to meet you sometime. Very good. Yeah. I I hope, pick pick
0: a coffee shop in the middle.
1: (laughs) Cool. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, thanks so much, Troy. You got it. Take care. Bye bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.